Chapter number twenty nine of the House of Whispers by William Lacroix. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Contains a further mystery. My dear Edgar, when I met you in the Devonshire Club last night, I could scarcely believe my own eyes. Fancy you turning up again. Yes, strange, isn't it? How two men may drift apart for years and then suddenly meet in a club, as we have done, Murray. Being with those fellows who were anxious to go along and see the show at the Empire last night, I had no opportunity of having a chat with you, my dear old chap. That's why I asked you to look in. The two men were seated in Walter's dingy chambers on the second floor in Fig Tree Court Temple. The room was an old and rather frowsy one, with shabby leather furniture from which the stuffing protruded panelled walls, a carpet almost threadbare, and a formidable array of calf-bound volumes in the cases lining one wall. The place was heavy with tobacco smoke, as the pair, reclining in easy chairs, were in the full enjoyment of very excellent cigars. Walter's visitor was a tall, dark man, some six or seven years his senior, a rather spare, lantern-jawed young fellow, whose dark gray clothes were of unmistakable foreign cut and whose moustache was carefully trained to an upward trend. No second glance was required to decide that Edgar Hamilton was a person who, having lived a long time on the continent, had acquired the cosmopolitan manner both in gesture and in dress. "'Well,' exclaimed Murray at last, blowing a cloud of smoke from his lips, "'since we parted at Oxford, I have been called to the bar, as you see. As for practice, well, I haven't any.' The governor wants me to go in for politics, so I'm trying to please him by getting my hand in. I make an odd speech or two sometimes in out-of-the-world villages, and I hope, one day, to find myself the adopted candidate for some borough or other. Last year I was sent round the world by my fond parents in order to obtain a broader view of life. Is it not Tacitus, who says, Sua cuque vita obscura eh? Yes, my dear fellow, replied Hamilton stretching himself lazily in his chair and surely we can say with marshall non e vivre se valer vita i am well therefore i am alive mine has been a rather curious career up to the present i only once heard of you after oxford through arthur price who was you'll remember at balliol he wrote he'd spoken one night to you when at supper at the savoy you had a bevy of beauties with you he said both men laughed in the old days, Edgar Hamilton had been essentially a ladies' man, but since they had parted one evening on the station platform at Oxford, Hamilton had gone up to town and completely out of the life of Walter Murray. They had not met until the previous evening, when Walter, having dined at the Devonshire, that comfortable old-world club in St. James's Street, which was the famous Crockford's gaming-house in the days of the dandies, he had met his old friend in the strangers' smoking-room, the guest of a city stockbroker who was entertaining a party. A hurried greeting of surprise and an invitation to call in at the temple resulted in that meeting on that gray afternoon. Six years had gone since they had parted, and judging from Edgar's exterior, he had been pretty prosperous. Walter was laughing and commenting upon it when his friend, removing his cigar from his lips, said, "'My dear fellow, my success has been entirely due to one incident.' which is quite romantic. 
In fact, if anybody wrote it in a book, people would declare it to be fiction. That's interesting. Tell me all about it. My own life has been humdrum enough in all conscience. As a budding politician, I have to browse upon blue books and chew statistics. And mine has been one of travel, adventure, and considerable excitement, declared Hamilton. Six months after I left Oxford, I found myself out in Transcaucasia as a newspaper correspondent. As you know, I often wrote articles for some of the more precious papers when at college. Well, one of them sent me out to travel through the disturbed Kurdish districts. I had a tough time from the start. I was out with a Cossack party in Tai Aras Valley, east of Erevan, for six months, and wrote lots of articles which created a good deal of sensation here in England. You may have seen them, but they were anonymous. The life of excitement, sometimes fighting, and at others in ambush in the mountains, suited me admirably, for I am a born adventurer, I believe. One day, however, a strange thing happened. I was riding along, alone, through one of the mountain passes toward the Caspian, when I discovered three wild, fierce-looking Kurds maltreating a girl, believing her to be a Russian. I called upon them to release her, for she was little more than a child, and, as they did not, I shot two of the men. The third shot and plugged me rather badly in the leg, but I had the satisfaction that my shots attracted my Cossack companions who, coming quickly on the spot, killed all three of the girl's assailants and released her. By Jove, laughed Murray. Was she pretty? Not extraordinarily, a fair-haired girl of about fifteen, dressed in European clothes. I fainted from loss of blood, and don't remember anything else until I found myself in a tent, with two Cossacks patching up my wound. When I came to, she rushed forward and thanked me profusely for saving her. To my surprise, she spoke in French, and on inquiry I found that she was the daughter of a certain Baron Conrad de Hetzendorf in Austrian, who possessed a house in Budapest and a chateau at Semlin, in South Hungary. She told us a curious story. Her father had some business in Transcaucasia, and she had induced him to take her with him on his journey. Only certain districts of the country were disturbed, and apparently, with their guide and escort, they had unwittingly entered the heiress region, one of the most lawless of them all, in ignorance of what was in progress. She and her father, accompanied by a guide and four Cossacks, had been riding along when they met a party of Kurds, who had attacked them. Both father and daughter had been seized, whereupon she had lost consciousness from fright, and when she came to again found that the four Cossacks had been killed. Her father had been taken off, and she was alone in the brutal hands of those three wild-looking tribesmen. As soon as she had told us this, the officer of the Cossacks, to which I had attached myself, called the men together, and in a quarter of an hour the whole body went forth to chase the Kurds and rescue the baron. One big Cossack, in his long coat and astrakhan cap, was left to look after me, while Nicosia, that was the girl's name, was also left to assist him. After three days they returned, bringing with them the baron, whose delight at finding his daughter safe and unharmed was unbounded. They had fought the Kurds and defeated them, killing nearly twenty. Ah, oh, my dear Murray, you haven't any notion of the lawless state of that country just then, and I fear it is pretty much the same now. Well, go on, urged his friend. What about the girl? I suppose you fell in love with her and all that, eh? No, you're mistaken there, old chap, was his reply. 
when she explained to her father what had happened the baron thanked me very warmly and invited me to visit him in budapest when my leg grew strong again he was a man of about fifty who i found spoke english very well nicosia also spoke english for she had explained to me that her mother now dead had been a londoner the baron's business in transcaucasia was he told me vaguely in connection with the survey of a new railway which the russian government was projecting eastward from Erevan. for two days he remained with us but during those days my wound was extremely painful owing to lack of surgical appliances so he spoke of very little else besides the horrible atrocities committed by the kurds he pressed me to visit him and then with an escort of our cossacks he and his daughter left for tiflis whence he took train back to hungary for six months i remained still leading that roving adventurous life my leg was well again but my journalistic commission was at an end and one day i found myself in odessa very short of funds i recollected the baron's invitation to budapest therefore i took train there and found his residence to be one of those great white houses on the franz joseph quay he received me with marked enthusiasm and compelled me to be his guest during the first week i was there i told him in confidence my position whereupon he offered me a very lucrative post as his secretary a post which i have retained until this moment and the girl walter asked much interested oh she finished her education in dresden and in paris and now she lives mostly with her aunt in vienna was hamilton's response quite recently she became engaged to young count de solwigen the son of one of the wealthiest men in austria i thought you'd probably become the happy lover lover cried his friend how could a poor devil like myself ever aspire to the hand of the daughter of the baron de hetzendorf the name doesn't convey much to you i suppose no i don't take much interest in unknown foreigners i confess replied walter with a smile ah you're not a cosmopolitan nor a financier or you would know the thousand and one strings which are pulled by conrad de hetzendorf or the curious stories afloat concerning him curious stories echoed mary tell me some i'm always interested in anything mysterious hamilton was silent for a few moments well old chap to tell you the truth even though i've got such a comfortable and lucrative post i'm even after these years considerably mystified how by the real nature of the baron's business oh he's a mysterious person is he very though i'm his confidential secretary and deal with his affairs in his absence yet in some matters he is remarkably close as though he fears me you live always in budapest i suppose no in summer we are at the country house a big place overlooking the danube outside semlin and commanding a wide view of the great hungarian plain the baron transacts his business there eh from there or from budapest his business is solely with an office in the boulevard des capuchins in paris and a registered telegraphic address also in paris well there is nothing very mysterious in that surely some business matters must of necessity be conducted with secrecy i know all that my dear fellow but and he hesitated as though fearing to take his friend into his confidence but what well but there no you'd laugh at me if i told you the real reason of my uneasiness i certainly won't dear hamilton murray assured him we are friends to-day dear old chap just as we were at college surely it is not the place of a man to poke fun at his friend 
the argument was apparently convincing the baron's secretary smoked on in thoughtful silence his eyes fixed upon the wall in front of him well he said at last if you promise to view the matter in all seriousness i'll tell you briefly it's this of course you've never been to semlin or zimini as they call it in the magyar tongue to understand aright i must describe the place in the extreme south of hungary where the river sav joins the danube the town of semlin guards the frontier upon a steep hill five kilometers from the town stands the baron's residence a long rather inartistic white building which however is very luxuriously finished comparatively modern it stands near the ruins of a great old castle of hetzendorf which commands a wide sweep of the danube now amid those ruins strange noises are sometimes heard and it is said that upon all who hear them falls some terrible calamity i'm not superstitious but i've heard them on three occasions and somehow well somehow i cannot get rid of an uncanny feeling that some catastrophe is to befall me i can't go back to semlin i'm unnerved and dare not return there noises cried walter murray what are they like he asked quickly starting from his chair and staring at his friend they seem to emanate from nowhere and are like deep but distant whispers so plain they were that i could have sworn that someone was speaking and in english too does the baron know yes i told him and he appeared greatly alarmed indeed he gave me leave of absence to come home to england well exclaimed murray what you tell me old chap is most extraordinary why there is almost an exactly similar legend connected with glencardine glencardine cried his friend glencardine castle in scotland i've heard of that do you know the place the estate marches with my father's therefore i know it well how extraordinary that there should be almost exactly the same legend concerning a hungarian castle who's the owner of glencardine sir henry Hayburn, a friend of mine Hayburn echoed hamilton Hayburn, the blind man he gasped grasping the arm of his chair and staring back at his companion and he is your friend you know his daughter then yes i know gabrielle was walter's reply as there flashed across him the recollection of that passionate letter to which he had not replied why is she also your friend she certainly is hamilton was silent he saw that he was treading dangerous ground the legend of glencardine was the same as that of the old magyar stronghold of hetzendorf gabriel hayburn was murray's friend therefore he resolved to say no more gabriel hayburn End of chapter 29